All right, we're going to get you to get back to your seats. Lots of great commotion here. Canada Day weekend. Let me say good morning to everybody who is online. Welcome. Glad that you're here with us today at Colwood Church. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here on this team, and uh, it's good to be here. How many of you are thankful that you live in Canada? What a great, great country we have, and I'm excited that on this uh, weekend, we get to celebrate the fact that we have a great nation. And you know, one of my favorite prayers of all time that I love to recite is our anthem. Do you know every time you sing our anthem, it is a prayer. It's a prayer to God. And what does it say? God, keep our... I love it. We live in a great country. And so I'm glad that you're here taking some time on this Canada Day long weekend to worship with us. And so let, let's, let's jump in. Here's the deal. Uh, this uh, year, Lisa, who is my wife, uh, we celebrate 25 years of marriage this year. Wow. She has put up with me that long. I mean, it is a good thing. But like our story is a little bit longer than just the 25 years of being married. 27 years uh, is the opportunity that we have had. And, and one of the unique things about uh, back in our younger days, uh, we, we would do this thing of communication. It was beautiful. And, and some of you who are young in the room here today, and you could define whether you're young or not. But some of you young people, you have no hot clue what I'm about to talk about, but I'm telling you, you should try it. It may get you married, okay? Like that could be one of the clues. But th this thing that we did back in the day is we, we took this thing called a, a piece of paper, like a real piece of paper, and, and a pen, and we would actually write notes to each other. We, we would write love letters. We would say things to each other. We've kept some of these things. It's fantastic when you receive the card or you receive the letter in this thing called the snail mail. I mean, everybody's pushing it through, and, and all of you, like, younger generation, like, you think it's just like, let's take a quick picture, you know, sup, right, girl, uh, something like that, and it's like, okay. We wrote to each other, and the odd time when you were lucky enough, uh, or for me anyway, she would actually put some of her perfume on the letter, which just, you know, it would remind me, like, this is the best thing, but we would write these love letters because the sentiment and the value of words had some significance. Now, let me bring an aside to this just for a quick moment. A couple weeks ago was Father's Day. I happened to be a father as well, and so I've got two great kids, and so the kids were asking me, hey, Dad, what do we get you for Father's Day? And I said, absolutely nothing. I said, in fact, if you dare give me a card, I'm going to take that card in front of you. I'm going to rip it up in front of you because I do not like cards. And so on Father's Day, guess what I got? A card. And so I first of all want to confess um, my line of ripping up the card because I didn't do it. But my daughter, who uh, decided to give me a card, uh, the only child who decided to give me a card... <laughs> Um, but one of the things that happens, uh, it, one of the things that happens with cards, and this is my family knows me, so I'm going to turn this card around, and you're going to notice this black marker over the price of the card, because everybody knows who tries to give me cards that I will always turn it around and look at the price first. <laughs> I'm like, how much did you get ripped off to give me a card that I'm probably going to throw in the trash can, actually, for that matter? So my kids, everybody kind of knows me. So cards are, they're no good for me, mostly. Gift cards, that's another story, but that's another message, okay? Uh, so, but, but cards. And so my daughter gives me this card, 
obviously, I haven't ripped it up. And this is what it says. Playing golf is like raising a kid. Your golf ball doesn't listen to you either. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Love, Anaya. But the thing about this card that I just want to bring our attention to is everything that's written on this side, though, by my daughter's own hand. Now, I know some of you are really curious about what my daughter said to me, and I'd like to welcome you to the land of Nanya. Nanya business. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to read it because this is words from my daughter to me, but they're really special. A lot like what was happening when my wife and I were also communicating over here, there's something about the written communication where you get the opportunity to express certain things that are very valuable to you. Now, that uh, Father's Day period aside, let's jump back to my relationship with Lisa. So two years in, as we've kind of checked each other out, you start dating, you start moving along, now comes the time where you have to sit down and you have to have a conversation. And at that conversation, and some of you have had this conversation before, but it is a conversation that could be scary the most of times, the best of times. And it is a conversation called the DTR. The DTR is not a small coastal island off the Dominican Republic. The DTR is that conversation where you sit across from that someone and you have to define the relationship. And these are scary moments because as the other person is sitting across from you, they're like, are you going to tell me you love me? Uh, no, this has only been two days since we've known each other. Uh, or you kinda are, you're in this conversation and even sometimes like the, the big M word comes up, marriage. Like, when are you going to marry me? And suddenly you're in this conversation that has a lot, of, a lot at stake actually with it because what hinges on these uh, defining of the relationships really establishes where you're going to go in the context of the relationship. And so I remember having the DTR with Lisa and it was, those were interesting ones. Like one of the biggest things that Lisa wrestled with is like, does she really want to be a pastor's wife the rest of her life? Things like this. And so we had to define like, what is this going to look like? Now, this morning, we're about to jump into, now the afternoon, we're about to jump into a brand new series for the summer um, called Relationship Overrule. You'll see on the screens that it doesn't say over, but if you can kind of catch the math term that is there, the over is the line. So we're in this title of Relationship Overrule, and today, what we want to do is I want to establish the relationship that God wants to have with you and with me. And what this is going to look like. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take our attention to the book of Exodus, chapter 19 and 20. And we're going to read a very familiar old passage of scripture. And I'll define that for you. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to Exodus 19. If you do not have your Bibles, it's a good thing you're still here because we've got the words on the screen for you as well. But this is what it reads. And so let's do it together. It says, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and he said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. This is what God says. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And you know how I carried you on eagles' wings. And I brought you to myself. Now, if you will, turn the page here, if you will obey me and keep my covenant. Somebody say covenant. It's a big word for us today. You will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And then Exodus 20. 
verse 1, it says, Then God, and, and, and I want us to see this, it says, not Moses telling the people this stuff, it says, then God. God spoke to the people, and he gave them these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God before me. Will you pray with me as we've read the word of the Lord? Father, thank you this morning for how you're speaking and moving in people's lives. We ask that over these next few minutes, you will continue to do the same. Speak to us from your word and allow us to, to, to resemble you and to live out what you're communicating to us today. And so, Spirit of God, continue to speak is what we pray for. We give you this time and this space. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen. Now, we have just concluded this series titled, I Am. In fact, in, in Exodus chapter 3, I believe, it is where God reveals to this character whose name is Moses. He says to Moses, my eternal name for all generations is going to be titled, I Am. And so then we've kind of worked through the series of statements that Jesus makes saying that he is I am, and we made a list of them. But Moses is the original dude. He is the guy that God spoke to and revealed this beautiful name. And as he said, I am to Moses, he's like, I want you to walk in. I want you to lead Israel out of Egypt. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to set you up. You're going to be exactly what I need to be. So God delivers the Israelites from Egypt, from the, the Pharaoh of the land. And now we find them in the story of a desert. And in this desert, there is a whole lot of whining. Have you ever heard somebody whine before? Have you, does that person sitting beside you right now? Uh, but don't put up your hands, that could be dangerous for you. But you, we understand whining. They, like the, the Israelites are complaining. They are not impressed with the things that are happening. How dare you take us out of Egypt? We had it good there with food and home, and now we're in this, they're whining. So God calls this Moses guy up a mountain, and mountains are interesting. So this mountain in particular, though, is called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai has a summit of 2,285 meters, equivalent to 7,500 feet. This last week, Lisa and I and some of our family were able to travel, and we were on this, uh, this mountain called the Coquihalla. Have you heard of this mountain here? It's awesome. But you know what I was really thankful for when I got onto the Coquihalla? That I was in a vehicle to drive up the Coquihalla. I did not get dropped off at the bottom to ascend to its summit to then descend to Kamloops where I needed to go. I didn't have to do that. I'm showing you a little bit of different mountains in the ranges here, but you see the Finlayson in our own backyard, 419. I mean, we could all go do that maybe right after the service today. It's an easy one, right? So we're all going to go hiking or Blackcomb, Whistler, these types of things. But just to see kind of what is happening, because our story goes on to communicate that God calls Moses up the mountain once and then down. He calls him up a second time and then down. And get, get this, Moses is plus 80 years of age, and under 120, climbing that type of a mountain. How many of you are ready to go climb Finlayson then? Right? It's just context. But God is calling Moses up to this mountain. And this is very important because what God is wanting to do with Moses and to Israel, and what I believe he wants to do with us here at Colwood Church today, is God is trying to accomplish a DTR. God is ready to define the relationship he is about to have with his people. 
This is so important that we cannot miss this moment. Moses and Israel could not miss this moment, but this is what God was trying to do. He is saying to them, he is saying to us today, I am your God. Listen, I made the first move towards you. In fact, I loved you first before you even were even to utter my name. I am that God who sees you, and I want to define the relationship with you. And guess what, folks? That when you step into what I am calling you to, it's going to define and show this world our relationship. Not only Israel did I deliver you from Egypt. When you were in that desert complaining and whining, I sent you some food, some manna, some quail. When that wasn't even enough for you, I took a stick and I hit a rock and out came some water. He is showing Israel over and over his love and his attention and his care for his people. And yet, how many times has he done the same for you and I here today? But on that mountain... God is communicating, this is what it's going to look like for us to love him back. And guess what happened with Israel? They quickly forgot what he was talking about on the mountain. And another thing that kind of catches my attention is I think you and I do the same. We forgot that God made the first move. We've forgotten that he loved us first. We forgot that he has defined what the relationship looked like so that this world will know who he is. Now, God clearly saw the other nations. He clearly saw all the other gods that Israel was about to encounter. He saw all the other options, and yet God on this mountain with Moses, and for us here today, he says, I want to begin something new. And so guess what God does? He decides to pen a letter. He decides to pen a love letter to his people. And I want us to see this old passage of Scripture because many of us have looked at it for years and we look at it as a list of do's and don'ts. But I've been looking at it in a different lens lately and it is a beautiful picture of love. He's defining the relationship with his people. And so what happens is as he's writing this love letter, which is typically known as the Ten Commandments. But in the original Hebrew, it means ten words or ten pronouncements. So for our summer series, what we're going to do is we're going to speak these ten words. We're going to speak these ten pronouncements. They are not old. They are current. They are right now. And they are important for us to move ahead. But many people, if we were to be honest, we look at this section of Scripture and we simply see rules and laws. I can't do this. I can't do that. How could I serve a God like this who just tells me what I can and can't do? And it makes sense if we're to be honest with each other. But it got me thinking. Like if you were to think of one law that you could change in your life, what would it be? One law. I give you permission to change anything. I told you just a couple of seconds. I'll tell you one of the laws I would change. Um, I was on the Coca Cola last week. So guess what law I was ready to change? Speeding. Uh, and I'm confessing my sin again today here in this place, but I love that highway. I love to just press that pedal to the floor and to go for it. But I mean, what law would, would you change? Here's, here's the reality though, when it comes to all of it. When we look at this scripture, many of us for a really long time have looked at it too legalistically. I mean, we live in a day where um, 
that we actually just don't like, we don't like the law. We don't like what it has to say to us. Some of us are suspicious of the law. Some of us are anti-authority when it comes to these conversations. And in all of those positions, it really does impact us in our thinking of biblical law and what God wanted to say. Now, before we even get to the commands, the 10 words, the 10 pronouncements in Exodus 19.5, God shows us something very important. And he says, but God called Israel to keep his law, but he commanded them to keep his covenant. Catch this. Before the commandments are even spoken, he calls them to covenant. And covenant is relationship. So what God is doing, even before he's about to download the stuff, he's making a statement. My relationship to you matters that much more than the law that I'm about to give you. The law is important for you. It's going to help define the relationship. But the covenant is exactly where he wants us to be. Now, I think many of us, when we look at this graphic, we actually want to flip the rule to be over the relationship. We think that that's who God is. But I'm here to communicate to us again today, and why I think this is a love letter is that it is relationship first with God over the rule and what you and I need to do to live in the confines of the relationship with Him. And I think many of us want to try to flip it, but I'm here to tell you today, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. You see, the covenant that God made with Israel, it included the law. But there was always in that moment a choice to obey or to disobey. What are you going to do? God is reminding Israel, and I want him to remind you with fresh eyes again today, that God is saying that this is all about relationship over rule. It is not rule over relationship. He is communicating to you and I today that this whole thing is all about love. It's about how I love you and how you are supposed to love me back. In this relationship, what God is simply trying to do and remind us again here today is he is saying, I made the first move to you. I'm the one that loved you first. And I'm here to say that his love started this whole entire thing today. One of my um, enjoyable authors and pastors I'm listening to these days is Albert Tate. And Albert Tate used a, a beautiful illustration that I want to bring to the stage here this morning. There is this popular TV show um, called The Voice. Anybody uh, heard the, the, the TV show The Voice? And it's kind of a fun little setup where there are these four judges and they have these chairs. And the objective of the judge is to sit in the chair and to not look at the contestant who is on the stage. And it's important. So like the different little characters that are there, I got to tell you, like out of all of them, one of my favorite little characters is Blake Shelton. He's this country singer, but he does this little thing with his finger and I just love it. And he's pointing to everybody, but he's, he's so uh, witty and he's fun. But this idea is that you, you have to, as a judge, keep your back to the contestant. And I thought like, you know, it'd be good to pull a contestant out of the audience today and just let you sing to me uh, just to see. So Pastor Tyson, do you got a song for me to uh, this morning that, uh, so I won't look at you, but uh, I want to see, no, actually, I don't want to hear you sing anyway. Uh, 
That's the best wisdom of the day, I know. But uh, <laughs> you've got a good voice. Okay, let me quit distracting me. Anyway, okay, so, so the objective is this. These judges sit like this. A contestant sings behind them. And if this judge is so moved to want to turn around to see who this person is, what they will do is they will then strike a button that is on their stand in their chair. But if they don't, the contestant is stood all alone with judges' backs to them. They're dejected. They, they don't win. They can't go any further in the competition. But if one of those judges actually likes what he or she hears, they strike a button and they hit it and all of a sudden their chair turns around. And this is what their chair says. Take a look on the screens. I want you. I think this is the best picture I could think of when it comes to God and you. Before you have sung a note, before you have done anything, God hit that button and he turned around and guess what his chair says to you? I want you. Some of us, though, we think God is like this. He don't want me. He can't love me. I've got to sing harder. I've got to perform better. I've got to pray longer. I've got to give more dollars. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. As if you think that your performance could do anything to conjure up more love of God. God hits that button and he looks at you before you have even uttered a word, before you have even done a thing, and he says, I want you, period. And so when God sits in his chair and he looks at Israel, he just says, I want you. And he looks at you today in this room and online. You know what he says to you? I want you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think you could do. I simply want you. And I think today that we have to understand that we think that if I just abide by the rules, he's going to love me more. No, he's not. He hit the button. He turned around already, and he wants relationship with you. And when you see that relationship, you will want to abide by the boundaries that he gives to you. But God says to you today, I want you. You can't do anything else. I just want you. And this is an interesting one for, I think, a lot of us today when we wrestle with this reality and just this picture. But when I look at this, these 10 words, these 10 pronouncements they are simply a love letter. What God is saying, this is what our relationship should look like. This is what it's going to mean for you to love God back, for me to love God back. But oftentimes, we look at the commands that God gives to us as restrictive. But I want to challenge that thinking here today with this word. They're not restrictive, those commands. They are covenantal. And when God speaks a covenant relationship, what he is asking for is that he is going to create a relationship with you out of love, but that will give you boundaries around your life so that you can walk in freedom. And this is important because just a few moments ago, I shared with you that I have 25 years married to Lisa this year. So a really long time, we, we took a covenant relationship together. We spoke that for better or for worse, richer or poorer, being a pastor, that was a tough one for Lisa to swallow at the beginning, right? So, but we walked into this covenant relationship. Has it always been easy, Lisa? 
No. Have it, could it have been easy to exit stage right or left? Probably. And easy is a really not good statement because it's never easy to walk out of a relationship. You know, another thing that I've noticed in my relationship with Lisa is that there are a lot of beautiful women in this world too. And I could do a lot with that. But a really long time ago, I looked at her in the eyes and said, I'm committed to you. And I could be looking around and it would cause disaster for me. It would be because in my covenant relationship with Lisa, I've stayed within the boundaries that we have for each other. Because of that, we've been able to strike 25 years and we can't wait for the next 25. But some of us think that these rules, like I'm in this relationship and I can't look. Yeah, because when it comes to covenant relationship with God, what he is saying to you and I today is that this relationship is going to come with some boundaries that's going to bring a freedom to the relationship. And if I were to walk away from my covenant relationship with Lisa, with wandering eyes or anything else, I'm not in freedom. I'm in prison. And so what God is doing with Israel is he is defining the relationship, saying this covenant matters. Before the commands, I want you to know that I love you. And that love is the starting point to love me back. And when we do that, we experience the freedom that God brings. Now, it has been well said that the commandments of our God's nature expressed in terms of moral imperatives. So the commands become a beautiful picture a, a scene that we want to live by. Commands are not bad, folks. Commands are good. They actually show the wise and the moral guidance and government of God. Commands teach us morality. And then that's where we land. So God says, Israel, call with church. Let's start the covenant this way. He's saying that Nobody, nobody is going to love you better than me. In fact, in verse 2 of Exodus 20, we are shown exactly what God is saying to Israel and he is saying to us. And look at these words. He says, I am the Lord your God. I rescued you from the land of Egypt, your place of slavery. Nobody wanted you. You were slaves in a different land. And guess what I did? I hit the button and I turned the chair around again to show you that I want you. I mean, God is communicating to his people. Nobody, nothing's going to step in better than me when it comes to who you are. Then he jumps one more step in the first boundary which brings your freedom. And my freedom today is he jumps into the very first pronouncement. And he says this, I don't want you to put anybody else in front of me. So he says, do not have any other gods. This to me again is an invitation of love. He's like, I want to be singular with you, okay? I don't want the plurality thing around this, in this culture. I want to be singular to you. I'm committed to you. I want you to be committed to me. And because of that, I don't want you to put any other gods into play. And God knew that there were other gods in front of Israel. Just like he knows that there are other gods in front of you and I today in Canada, in this society, in 2023. And he's saying, I don't want you to have any other gods. And some of us struggle with this because we believe the lies that society will bring to us. A couple of lies that I just want to quickly identify today, but the, the lie of relativism. 
All right, this idea that there is no absolute truth. So when God says in Exodus 22, and Jesus even proclaims, I am the way, the truth, and the life, this is what God is saying, like, I am it. You may think that there's other options, but no, there isn't. And you know what? We struggle with that in this society because we don't believe in absolutes. Our society can accept anything except an absolute. Absolutes are absolutely out when it comes to our society today. And then there's this idea of pluralism, which Israel knew far too well. That there's many gods, there's many options, many ways. God is saying, no, this is, this is it. So the voice, if you haven't seen it, you got to go watch it. It's, it's super cool. I think that in our culture today, there are some other chairs that, um, that start this way, and then they quickly hit the button when they see you. Guess what these chairs are? I'm going to get dizzy as I do this, but let's try it. How about the chair of pleasure? Oh, I want you. All right. How about the um, idea of the chair of finance? Oh, guess what? It wants you too. Um, some of you are so into yourself. So self hits the chair and says, you're all that in a bag of chips. It's really good, right? Some of us education, some of us work, and I got to stop. All of these chairs turn around. But the beauty of the show of the voice is that I've seen it where all four chairs turn around. It says, I want you. And all of these things are saying to you and I today, I want you to. And then it comes down to one moment where the power is out of the person sitting in the chair and it comes back to the contestant. And the contestant looks at the options. And guess what the, the contestant has to do? It says, I will choose you. And this is exactly what God is doing with Israel. This is exactly what God is doing with us today. All these chairs are going to turn around. They want you. And yet God is saying, nobody has loved you better than me. And you could choose all of these other variety of things, but I want you to choose me. I think that in this love letter that we're about to go through in the summer, is beautiful for us to start at God loved you first. Nobody is going to love you better than him. So quit trying to bring your attention to all of the other things that want you as well. He is saying, I don't want you to put anything else in front of me. And the sad part is, as many of us do, we put other things in front of the relationship that we have with God. And that's why he wants to define the relationship today. What are you going to do? Who are you going to be? Will you choose who he is? To start this series, I want to remind you that God made the first move. He gave you the DTR. He wants you to know that he loves you. This is relationship over rule. Now guess what? You choose what you're going to do. Now as we go through this series this summer, four questions that I'm going to leave on the screen for you every week. And I want you to process. So God has made the first pronouncement today. You shall have no other gods. So let's take a look at those questions. 
the author who provoked me in this was Legan Duncan. And I just think they're good questions. What does this commandment teach you about God today? Perhaps what would, it, what would be said? Let's, I don't know if it's going to come up there or not. Maybe not. I see them on the back screen. Y'all could look at the back screen. But uh, anyway, we're going to get these questions for you one way or the other. All good. But these questions, I'm going to read them to you. Number one, what does this commandment teach me about God? Number two, what does this commandment teach me about Jesus? Number three, what does this commandment teach me about the Christian and their duty? And then number four, what does this commandment teach me about the church? Because I want us together today to wrestle through this love letter. I want us to be able to see that God is calling us into this DTR moment. He is looking for you. He's looking for me to enter into the relationship with him. And through that, the world will know who he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I ask that you would again teach us as we walk into this week what you have for us. I pray that the one visual that um, you will keep in our minds here today is that you press the button for me. You want me. Before I even utter a thing or can do a thing, you wanted me. Because of that love, I ask that we all would walk into this relationship. We would understand the boundaries that you are creating through these 10 words, these 10 pronouncements. And you would call us to a greater level of intimacy with you, of covenant. And so, Father, I pray that as we walk into this week, you'll help us to wrestle with this first one. No other gods, nothing else. Help us to see that it's because you loved us first. And all these other things are, they're not even secondary. You loved us first. So help us to wrestle with these things. Now, with all eyes closed and heads bowed in this moment too, perhaps you have never made God the Lord of your life. And as we celebrated the person of Jesus, who God sent to this earth to die for our sins so that we could be in this relationship with God, perhaps you've never committed your life to him. I think today could be a beautiful moment for you to say yes to Jesus. So whether you are in this room or you are online with us today, you can click that link there. But in the room, on the count of three, if you'd like to accept Christ for this relationship with God, will you raise your hand on the count of three and look at me and then quickly put your hand back down? It would be a great privilege to be able to pray with you over that. So I'm taking a look. One, two, three. Is there anybody in this room? Thank you for your hand. Thank you. Thank you. I saw you. Pray with me. Father, I give you thanks today that you brought me to this moment. You see me today. You want me today. And I thank you that you sent your son for me. So Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And thank you for giving me freedom today. Now help me to engage the things that you have for me, the things that you want to speak to me. But today I surrender my life to you, knowing that I have to place you first in my life. So all of these other things that have been kind of competing with your attention, let's put those aside. God, I want to give you the reins of my life. So today I submit myself to you, and I'm asking you to lead me and to guide me. I give you thanks for that today. So Jesus, I welcome you into my life. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you want me. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Will you applaud with me for those that have said yes to Jesus this morning? really cool.
Now, church, as you um, head into this week, it's relationship overrule. Don't get it mixed up. God loves you. He's got a plan for you. And one of those plans that I want to invite you into is in our foyer, there, there is a grad table because we're in that grad season. And Pastor Levi and Jen have set up a beautiful table for our graduates. And on that table are their pictures, Bibles that we're going to give to them, and cards. But the cards are for you to write something in them to bless the future of, of these young people. And so my invitation to you is don't be in a hurry, but if you can take some time to fill it up, we're going to give these to the students, I believe, tonight. And so this is a last opportunity to be able to speak a word into them. Again, mark your calendars for July 23rd. We'll have some lunch together on a beach. It's going to be a fantastic day. Relationship overrule. God loved you first. He made the first move. Now walk in the relationship. Have a great week, Call Church. We love you. We'll see you next week.